What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph and the Mage. I am your host, the Mage. You can find me on Twitter at the Mage underscore NFL. I am with my co-host Murph. Murph, say what's up to the people. What's up, guys? How we doing? Tough time in our world right now, but hopefully we can uh, bring some positivity to your life. We got a special guest today, Brendan. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, what's up, guys? Brendan here. You can find me on Twitter at Teresa's Trices. T H R E E Z U S T R I S T. All right. Thank you, guys, Brendan. Thank you for joining us today, Murph. I think you used that same opening line for the last three weeks. That just. Uh, Goes to show that this shit's not going anywhere anytime soon. That's false. I said last week that I was going insane in the membrane. <laughs> so let's hope that our listeners are not and that we can actually bring some positivity to life uh, for the uh, missing sports news. Murph, so kick us off. What do we have on the agenda today, Murph? Man, we're struggling. There ain't much going on. No, no sports. Really uh, a lot of speculation out there on the timeline. I want to talk about Leo a little bit. I know it's kind of a dead horse right now, but um, Dan Duggan, our our guest from last week, brought up a good point this week that has really gotten me thinking. Um, Most of the franchise tag guys around the league have already signed their tags, and there's one guy that hasn't, and that's our our man Leo. I'm not quite understanding what he's doing leaving 16 mil on the table right now. I understand that, you know, he wants to have that long-term contract hand. And nailed out and wants to have that in his bag to protect him and his family. Um, but I'm really at a loss on why the man wouldn't sign the franchise tag. He's doing himself a disservice. There's there's no way he's getting that 16 mil on the open market if our boy Dave rescinds the tag on him. So what is it that is a positive for Leo right now leaving that franchise tag unsigned? What am I missing here? I mean, I, I, to be honest, like, I don't think it's much of anything. I mean, it could just be, in my opinion, something as simple as he just hasn't come to sign it yet. I mean, we talked about you talked about how he's the only one who hasn't signed it yet. But, I mean, a couple of these guys that have signed it recently, I mean, it's within, what, the last two or three days or something. So I'm not, I'm not going to read too much into that. I mean, I truly just think it's, again, it's a, something as simple as he just hasn't gotten around to sign it yet you know like you mentioned and we all know right now it's a tough situation going on right now with the coronavirus everyone's trying to stay inside um they've already talked about in the nfl specifically have how they're having to go about uh, their offseason duties everything's kind of electronic now so um you know again i just want to read too much into it i i disagree man i i actually do you know this is not a Le'Veon bell situation where Le'Veon held out and he wanted more money leonard williams is not getting more money than tag so the way i'm looking at this is if if our boy dave does what he did in carolina and rescinds the tag and obviously this is different than josh norman josh norman was an elite player at the time probably the best of his position group but let's say dave rescinds that tag tomorrow leo is not getting anywhere close to that 16 mil so sign the damn tag and then negotiate i just don't see how this is a positive in any part of leo's camp whether it's his his agent or him, I, I'm not seeing the advantage that they are getting from not signing this tag. I mean, to me, the Giants are getting leveraged by the day. Every day that they, they, he lets that tag go unsigned, his value drops on the open market. Uh, that's my opinion, but I, I talked to Dan Duggan about it this week, and he kind of agreed with me. He thinks it's absolutely outrageous that the, the tag hasn't been signed. He, he, we're just kind of at a loss on why. 
Um, and that kind of leads me to my next point. I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes with the Giants right now. Um, we've seen them move money around. Mage and I applauded them for having front-loaded contracts at the beginning of free agency, which, one, either were reported wrong, or two, money got shuffled around for other moves. Um, so to me, there's I think there's some more feelers to this. I agree with you, Murph. The one part that I do agree with you on, which makes the most sense, is why is he not signed in the tenure for the tag? At worst, all it does is just guarantee him the $16 million for this year. They can still negotiate heading into the season. I think he's playing a dangerous game of chicken because, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to hold out if the season doesn't start on time? That doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. So I'm with you on that aspect of it. It is interesting what the Giants have done with some of the contracts or some of the news that has come out with the contracts recently. And again, I've said this entire time. I think that the Giants are still in on Golden. I don't think that the Giants are done. I think that they are still going to bring him back yet. I think the reason why that they haven't is because the market still hasn't played out yet with Clowney. By the day, Clowney's price tag continues to drop. I still think that Golden may come back on an $8 million per year deal. I think that he could be looking somewhere in the same ballpark around three years. So I would say maybe three years, 24 with maybe 18 million guaranteed if they do go the three years on that they are still shuffling money around don't forget that they still need money for the rookies as well dan also talked about the top 51 how that's not really they don't really need 12 million for the whole rookie pool etc etc so i'm sure some of that plays into this as well yeah i guess the one thing going back to leo and you know why he didn't sign i mean and i'm not sure about the whole history of this and how this whole process works and again like history i can't compare to situations in the past because to be honest i just I haven't really cared, but is it possible that he has just not signed it yet because they know that they're going to come to terms um, on an agreement on an extension? I mean, is that a possibility here that, you know, he shouldn't be ruling out? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we're all speculating at this point, considering the Leo situation and the situation we have going on with our edge rushers. But I, I don't feel like they're done, but I don't know how that how they're going to do anything else. There's still a lot of work to be do, do, done financially to clear some space. So I, I'm totally with you on that. I mean, maybe, maybe they have a gentleman's handshake and there's already something that has been worked out and Leo is MIA with the virus right now. I don't know. There's a lot behind this. There's tons of feelers, but... It just seems all fishy to me, man. Between Leo's franchise tag and Marcus Golden being unsigned, I mean, I just feel like there's a lot going on that we are all left in the dark about, which is a good thing because we are typically an organization that's leaking a lot of stuff right now and past years, but we'll get into that later. But, yeah, I mean, the Leo part, I'm just at a loss of words for. So I'm, I'm hoping in the back of my mind that that's what's going on in there. They're, they're hammering out that long-term contract. But let's talk about Marcus Golden a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm with Mage. I think I think there's still a possibility that he's going to be back on this team. There is a need for him on this team. I mean, the man has an ongoing motor that you you just can't teach. And not only that, he's a, he's a locker room guy. So, you know, I've been doing my re-sign Marcus Golden campaign for the last 11 days. <laughs> Every time I post that thing, I feel like, Fans are getting a little bit more irritated with it and losing hope, which is which is fair. But there's a reason he hasn't negotiated with other teams. And there's a reason 
he doesn't have a contract signed. There's a reason he doesn't have a new team. So, you know, from what me and Mage have gathered from people that we have spoken to, and again, we don't have sources. These are just people that we know who are connected. And from what we've been told, it's it's not a dead deal. The thing is still ongoing and they're still negotiating. There was some talk the other day of the Giants are moving out uh, or moving on from Golden. That is pure speculation from ESPN. If you go back and read the article, it's completely opinionated. So, you know, at this time of the year, there's nothing going on in sports. So there's a lot of fake news out there. But at the end of the day, I I feel like we have to have Marcus Golden in Royal Blue. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Golden was one of the very, very few bright spots. And mainly, like, maybe the only bright spot on the defense last year. You know, we talked about reaching the 10-sack mark, and that hasn't been done in a very long time and just you can in the videos that the Giants put out like you can see his leadership that he's constantly being talked about as a good locker room guy um and obviously we've seen the results on the field yeah he may not be best in terms of run defense but when you have quality players especially on the defensive end right now and are good locker room guys you just don't let those guys go and if you have to pay um you know a little bit more to keep those kind of guys in house to have something defensively then yeah sure because we talk about, again, they have really not addressed edge. I mean, they got Fackrell, but, I mean, is, is that going to be a game changer? I, I mean, you know, I mean, odds are, and I'm not trying to be negative, but probably not. So you need to keep something that we know what it's going to be on the team, and we know that Marcus Golden is a guy that is going to get 10 sacks. We've seen that. He's a disruptor in the pass rush. He's a guy that, uh, to me, you just have to keep. You, you can't just let him go because if you come away with nothing, you better hope that, um, you know, Chase Young falls in the draft. Because if he doesn't, then, I mean, what are you going to do? I, I mean, they literally have nothing else left. And all the other guys that are on the market, to, in my opinion, aren't as good as Golden. And I know some guys have mentioned Cameron Wake and some of those other veterans and blah, blah, blah. They're old. And again, to me, just not as good as Golden. And then you mentioned that Jordan Ronan article that he put out, which again is just, I hate when reporters do that. Because it's like, that's pretty much like saying right now that any of us could report on Twitter right now and say, we have sources that the Giants are not going to take a quarterback in the first round of the 2020 NFL draft. Like, it's just pure speculation, and it's just taken against that. So, like, for example, the article probably came from, okay, well, he hasn't been re-signed yet, so he's probably not going to be, which is just dumb. Because we've seen in the past that sometimes signings, they just take a while. you got to let the market form. And then you come together when the time is right to make a deal. And, and again, it's right for both sides. So, yeah, Golden's a guy that we definitely have to have back. And, and they have to continue to address the edge because it's definitely, as of right now, the weakest point on the defense. A lot of the negativity I hear with Golden is is his age. And I think that is a complete myth. You got Robert Quinn, who just signed a massive deal up in Chicago, who's 29 years old. Granted, he's had a little bit better of a long career. He didn't have a torn ACL. But the man's 30 years old, and Golden is, I believe, 27 or 28. Uh, that that ageism thing is a myth. There's something more going on with Golden, but we can't keep beating that horse, I guess. It, it is what it is. We'll have to let it play out. I'm going to continue my campaign of resign Marcus Golden and make Golden a giant. I'm going to be crushed, and that's fine, and I'll take all the shit for it on the Twitter line if it, it doesn't happen, but that's fine. To me, that's just the Giants losing another guy, another guy that wanted to wear royal blue. But enough with the golden talk. Let's let's move into the, the the draft a little bit. You know, there's a lot of shit out there with the draft as well. Matt Miller put out a report this week about the Giants are probably going to take Isaiah Simmons. Blah blah blah. We knew 
that Daniel Jones and Saquon were the pick at this time last year, blah, blah, blah. I'm not buying into that shit, and I'm not listening to any of these analysts. Um, you know, they're like Jordan with Golden. They're speculating, too. They are not tied in, and I, I put this on the timeline last week. I spoke with a scout last year. We don't necessarily have the best relationship anymore. I made a mistake, but, you know, I'm not claiming him as a source, and I won't put his name out there, but he did make me a list of guys in, around the league that are known as clowns, and Matt Miller was at the top of that list. So all, all I tell fans is just tread lightly with the fake news out there right now. You know, I know that it's real slow with the quarantine, but um, we got 20-some days till the draft and just prepare for anything to happen. So, Murph, so what are you going to do if Isaiah Simmons is to pick and Matt Miller was right? I'm not going to give Matt Miller credit. <laughs> I mean, I watched a fucking video of him this morning, dude, and he's got no backbone. He keeps saying my opinion, my opinion. He won't put that on a timeline, and he won't put that in a write, uh, an article that he writes, but he'll put it in a video with three other dudes on the video. You know, he told us last year we were taking Haskins, man. There's an article about it. I got a screenshot of it on my phone. If somebody wants to see it, he was helping on us taking Haskins last year. So I'm not believing any of this shit, dude. The only people that know are the people inside the building. Yeah, that's cool. We might've, we might've leaked information in the past, but nobody was buying the Daniel Jones shit last year. I don't care what anyone says. The only person that floated it was Charlie Casterly and people ran with it saying the Giants were going to take it. And Charlie was the only one that was right. So I'm not buying it. I'm not buying any fake draft news. I don't know what the hell we're doing in the draft. Um, but let's get into a little bit of our preferences on what we do. Go ahead, Brent. Yeah, um, you know, just going back to the Isaiah Simmons thing and, you know, giving people credit where credit is due. But, but that thing is kind of tough. Cause it's like, how many mock drafts have we seen now with um, Isaiah Simmons going to the Giants? Like, he's a player that all oh, the Giants need him. And we know that Giants fans are crazy about Isaiah Simmons. So it's like, if you come out there and say that, you know, okay, well, the Giants are going to take Isaiah Simmons. It's like, yeah, okay, but everyone is saying that the Giants are going to take Isaiah Simmons and everyone likes Isaiah Simmons. So it's like, are you just hopping on the train uh, to get fans excited or whatever, or do you actually know something? So that's the thing that I struggle with when it comes to these draft analysts because it's like you don't know who they actually talk to. They just look at mock drafts and they come up with conclusions on their own about who would be good fits for, you know, whatever team. So I just have a hard time trusting those guys like you do. And some of them I like, but a lot of times I look at their stuff and I'm like, eh, I'm not sure if I'm going to believe that or not. Because, again, teams could be leaning one way and then they do more research and then they just, they lean a completely different way. Like, who knows? Maybe the Giants were in on Dwayne Haskins at one point last year and then they did more research on Jones. And then it was like, eh, well, um, you know, we just like Jones a little bit more. I mean, you know, we don't know. And the GMs will never talk about that. So it's like no one truly ever knows besides, again, like you were saying, the people in the building. So for me, I think it still comes down to Isaiah Simmons. And I've come around more on the offensive tackle piece of this. Isaiah Simmons helps fill a lot of holes on this defense. However, I don't think Isaiah Simmons alone is going to give this defense enough of a boost where I think it negates taking the tackle at four. Now for me, I would not prefer to take the tackle at four just because each one of these uh, tackles, whether it be Wills, Thomas, Werfs or Beckton, I think they all have some sort of question mark associated with them. I think four is too high. I would still prefer the trade back scenario uh, within the top six, preferably top 10. Get a tackle later on, whether it's still be Wills or Werfs, and then pick up maybe somebody like a Kenneth Murray in the middle of those rounds if we can. 
I think getting the two for one is the best deal for the Giants. However, taking all the trade scenarios out of it, I'm going to have to lean offensive tackle just because I don't think Isaiah Simmons is enough to upgrade this defense by himself. And I don't think that's enough to prioritize not protecting Daniel Jones on his blind side or if Wills or Wirfs comes in and starts on the right side of the line. I think upgrading the offensive line with a rookie quarterback, we saw it with Andrew Luck, is going to be the priority. If not, Daniel Jones turns out to be great. It's not going to matter if we can't protect him. You know, he did have injuries in college. He broke his collarbone. Now, granted, I mean, it may or may not happen again. Let's hope that it doesn't. But we saw Tony Romo re-injure a collarbone numerous times as well. So I, I think it's going to have to prioritize protecting Daniel Jones. Although, comes back to the Matt Miller part of it, Isaiah Simmons, it's not that crazy, right? Isaiah Simmons could go in the top five. Now, granted, whether he's correct or not, not throwing shit at a wall and hoping that sticks, you're talking about a top five player going in top five of the draft. So, that's where I stand with that. Yeah, no, you make you make some good points. I mean, I think we're all pretty lost on this. Um, you know, I wake up one day and I'm like, Simmons is the pick. The versatility is just out of this world. We've been searching for a middle linebacker for years. Yeah, we got Blake Martinez, but to me, I think they would complement each other real well. But um, I woke up this morning and uh, I had a completely different outlook than I did yesterday. Yesterday, I was on the Simmons train, and or excuse me, yesterday I was on the line train, and this morning I woke up and I, I was I was thinking. I was watching Cam Fleming's interview that he gave with uh, I don't even know one of the guys at at the Giants' actual organization. And, um, you know, I got thinking, Solder and Fleming were both booking tackles for the Patriots, and they made it work. Um, it wasn't sexy, but a good coach is able to kind of disguise bad talents of players. We have six tight ends on the roster. Levine Toyolo and Eric Tomlinson, as of late, those two just signed with us. They're both blocking tight ends. You know, as much as I hate Matt Miller and his bullshit, I'm kind of starting to sense that maybe we are – bringing in these blocking tight ends for a reason. Give our, our tackle some help, and they're going to try to see if they can salvage Cam Fleming on the right side. His, his familiarity with Colombo and Garrett and also Judge, I mean, he knows all three of them. He's been around all three of them. He said they're the reason he signed there. I don't know. It got me thinking, and I'm like, let's give our boy Chris some credit. All right. So Chris had a really excellent point that he posted on Twitter the other day. Honestly, it's so simple yet brilliant. Mark Colombo and Jason Garrett worked together last year. Now, granted, that's no surprise to anybody, right? Everybody knows that. But do you know what that does for an offense when it comes down to schematics and game planning to have that type of continuity between those two coaches when it comes to pass blocking, run blocking schemes on the offense? Having that continuity between Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo is going to be huge, huge. Cam Fleming, like you mentioned, was on New England with Joe Judge. Cam Fleming was with Mark Colombo and Jason Garrett last year, Nate Solder. So having that type of continuity on the offensive line to say, you know, Jason Garrett can almost look at Colombo and kind of give him a little wink, nod, nod. Hey, here's why I want to run here. To have that type of understanding between offensive coordinator and offensive line coach when it comes to pass block and run blocking schemes is going to be huge. Huge credit to Chris, Mr. Chris172 on Twitter for coming up with that. I really think that there's an underestimated point. I mean, that holds so much value. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you and Chris are spot on. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I look at the pieces and the connections between the players and the coaches on our staff, and I'm leaning towards an open camp battle between Nick Gates and Cam Fleming right now. And it's, it's what, April – uh, today's April 4th. 
I mean, I'm going to change my, my mind a hundred times before the draft, but um, that's kind of what, where I'm sitting right now. I, I, the Giants like to squeeze by, man. They've done this before. They did it with Eli. It, it will not shock me if they go into 2020 with Cam Flemings and Nick Gates battling for the right tackle and Isaiah Simmons on the roster. It just it won't shock me. Um, it's not necessarily what I want because Cam Flemings only signed for one year. To me, personally, I think Solder will be gone next year. You know, So we do still have a void in protecting Daniel for the future, but – the NFL is all about what have you done for me lately. And then Dave Gettleman needs to win now, not necessarily Joe judge, but Dave Gettleman needs to win now. So I, I don't know, man, my head's all messed up with it. Um, I don't, I don't love anyone. I don't fall in love with prospects anymore because I've had my heart ripped out too many times, but right now I'm, I'm just leaning towards a uh, Isaiah Simmons as the pick. Don't necessarily love it, but definitely don't hate it. You know, what do you think, Bren? You, how are you feeling? The beauty about, how they handled free agency is, and Dave Gettleman said this at the draft combine presser, you want to try and fill as many gaps as you can so that in the draft you can set yourself up to take the best player available. And I think that with Cam Fleming and then on the defensive side, when you talk about inside linebacker, you have Blake Martinez who you gave that hefty deal to, and you still have Ryan Connolly and David Mayo who was not horrible. The reason we say that, you know, our decision is going to change every day. Part of that is because they can truly go either way. And I think that's the beauty with this. And we shouldn't get caught up in who we should take, because I think either way, you can't go wrong. We still don't really have an impact player on the defensive side of the ball. We can talk about Blake Martinez. We can talk about James Bradbury, um, Jabril Peppers, whatever. None of those guys are really proven impact players. And maybe Martinez will be in this new system. I listened to that um, that kind of voice call that he did um, or whatever. But, I mean, the matter of the fact is, just, is we just don't know. And we talk about Simmons' versatility. Uh, we talk about the offensive tackle. Dave Gettleman also said at the combine presser that, and he's done the science on this, so we have to believe him, but it's hard to throw a pass when you're on your back. And everything that he said gives me the feeling that they're going to uh, come away with an offensive tackle early. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be with the first pick. But my ideal scenario right now is to trade back and take an offensive tackle. And this is, of course, unless something crazy happens. You know, if Okuda or Chase Young falls, then, you know, you take one of those two, whichever one of them falls. Um, I know they just got Bradbury and they still have DeAndre Baker or whatever. I would still take Okuda. But I just like how they've gone about this process. About the, it, it leaves them open to possibilities that they can do in the draft. But again, if uh, my personal favorite right now would be to trade back and uh, take offensive line, and I've been pretty consistent with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I want OT just as much as you, Bren. Uh, but, you know, on, on another scenario that I've been tossing around my head is um, we don't only need a future left tackle or right tackle, whatever you want to call it. We have no center right now. And to me, I don't see Dave Gettleman going OT and then center first and second round. And you're asking for a lot to find a, a starting center in the third round on. Now, we've done it in the, the past, I believe, Weston Richburg was a third-round pick. He might have been a second-round pick. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, we're playing with fire at that position, too. And that's not getting talked about a lot, you know. Our division is loaded on the inside of the defensive line. And right now, we are sitting with Spencer Pulley as a maybe at center. 
So do you got Mace, do you see Dave Gettleman going OT first round and then center second round? I mean, what what are we doing at center? So if we go offensive tackle at four and a center sitting there in the second round, I can see him trying to shore up the offensive line in one draft and possibly taking other defensive players later on. But hey, let me let me cut you off there. That's a huge risk right there asking for two early linemen, no? I don't know. Is it because one thing that we kind of reiterated throughout the free agency period when we were on the podcast was the need for depth on defense, right? So if you have good rotational depth, you can get by on defense, scheming, etc. The one thing that you cannot make up for where you can have an inefficiency is on the offensive line. And it's been said numerous times about what our rivals in the NFC East are doing, beefing up that front four, right? If our offensive line is going to get pushed around, and if Daniel Jones and this offensive line is going to have a game like it did against the New York Jets, you're going to be in for a long season. So I would say that it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I think it's going to be best player available and something that Dan Duggan also talked about. I think every part of his draft is going to be about matching that best player available with positional value. I don't think you can have one without the other necessarily uh, just because this is a position in need. This is great value here. I'm going to take this. No, I think it also has to match that best player available as well. So if there's a guy like Zach Bond sitting there in the second round, do the Giants take him instead of possibly a center and then look maybe in the third round for one? I don't know. There's a lot of different ways that we can certainly go with this. Yeah, um, I personally wouldn't hate doubling down on the offensive line simply because, I mean, and like I just said, the Gettleman said, it's hard to do a pass on your back. Like, they have to protect They have to protect this kid, Jones. This isn't like Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers where he can buy time. He, he knows how to read zones. He knows how to pick apart, man. Like, Jones is still learning, and it's going to be a learning process. And What's the most important player on the field? You know, you can say all oh, positions are important or whatever, but when it comes down to it, the quarterback's the most important position. And what's, you know, some would even say, you know, slightly under that is the people that are protecting him. And then Gettleman also talked about in the combine, uh, that's a combine presser, uh, how you have to match up in your division. And, and we've said that ourselves, you know, in the conversations that we have. Um, but there's a lot of pass rushers in our division, and it's not going to get any better when the Redskins ultimately add Chase Young with second overall. Not only pass rushers, the fucking D tackles are loaded. You got you got Javon Hargrave, new in Philly, matching up with um, Malik Jackson. You got everybody on that damn Dallas Cowboys line. You got Jonathan Allen, and um, who's the other Bama guy in in, in DC? Um, yeah, regardless, that line stacked too. So it's not just edge rushers, it's defensive front sevens. Yeah, and then, you know, Giant Insider, I listen to their podcast all the time. They're awesome, by the way. Chris Bizignano is probably my favorite of the uh, Giants reporters. Dude's awesome. Um, but, you know, they talk on their podcast and they're like, yeah, hey, it wouldn't really surprise, um, you know, them personally if they decided to double down an offensive line in one's round and two. So, um, you know, I like to listen to what they say and. Chris is especially right uh, more times off than not. And he didn't come out there and say that they were going to double down on offensive line, but, you know, it just wouldn't surprise them. And to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 certainly a concern. Um, the more we talk about all these scenarios in the draft and free agency, it's just it just gets me more depressed because it just tells me we still have so many damn holes on this team. I said it before and I'll say it again. I 
thought two years ago 2020 was going to be our year, but a lot of stuff's been thrown at the wall since and a lot of changes have come. So again, we have a lot of needs. I don't know how we can lose in this draft per se, but let's move over to the skills positions a little bit. A lot of the, half the fan base kind of likes what we got going on at the wide receiver position and half the fan base absolutely hates that we signed Golden Tate or or maybe not. Take Jerry Judy at four. We're going to rule that out. I'm going to, Go on record. The only thing that Dave Gettleman can do at four that's going to piss me off is take a wide receiver. So, um, but with that said, I wanted to answer one of our questions that our boy that runs our Instagram page, Mike, um, he wanted me to bring this up to you guys. Do you guys see us possibly taking someone in the later rounds at wide receiver? Or are we gonna are we gonna ride with what we got? So for me, we talked about this as well when we kind of did our draft preview. I think one of the questions was who would we possibly target in the third round? I think it was. I think I came up with Claypool, and I think yours was uh, Goldie. So I still think that it's possibility that we can take a wide receiver later on in this draft. A guy like Michael Pittman, maybe even a guy like Claypool, who I know might get converted to tight end. Your boy that you like. So, yeah, I still think it's a possibility that we can take a wide receiver in this draft somewhere throughout the seven rounds. The one thing that the Giants lack is a big body and a possession wide receiver. So, yeah, there's still a need there, in my opinion. What do you think, Brent? Yeah, um, let me ask you guys, this is a hypothetical. And the only reason I'm asking this, I know he's a talented player, but I just play devil's advocate here. If teams decide to go positional value, teams stack up on the offensive line. We know it's a strong offensive line class. Uh, teams in those late rounds get the edge rushers. If Jerry Judy's there in round two, just hypothetical. I mean, do you, do you pull the trigger on that? I mean, I think you have to. I, don't, I think any GM that doesn't is out of their mind. Yeah, for me, I'm running up to the podium with the card. Yeah, I mean, at, at that point, you're getting a top five talent in the second round. You kind of have to, or you can trade that pick as long as it's not at four. When you look at the the premier positions in this league, wide receiver is not at the top. And yeah, somebody's going to come on and comment, neither is running back. But we can't make that mistake again, right? So yeah, I I, I think like Mage said it best, you run up to the podium. I'm going to double down on Brent's question, all right? So if offensive tackle is to pick fourth overall I am more okay with taking a wide receiver in the second round there are some players there that would be beneficial for the Giants does that change if we take Isaiah Simmons or a defensive player and don't address the offensive line in the first round then what do you guys think about that yes that changes for me to me we have to get like okay I'm gonna set this up for you guys in my opinion if we're not taking OT at four we have to be going center OT in the second round. That's kind of just how I feel. I mean, those we have to come out of this draft with an OT or center in the first, second, and okay, sure, I'll say third round, but that dude better be ready to step in when Spencer Pulley shits the bed. That's kind of where I'm at. I, I mean, we have to get alignment in the first three rounds. I, I, I would hope that we could all agree on that. Yeah, so, so my question with Jerry Judy, and of course I didn't mean like, you know, just Jerry Judy, like, you know, what if Henry Ruggs falls or for some reason C.D. Lame, you know, um, just guys like that who are projected to be first round. But the main thing with I wouldn't be too upset if we took a receiver in um, rounds two or three. I de- I'm definitely with you guys. They shouldn't take one at four. The reason I say it is because we know Golden Tate's not going to be around forever. We know the um, concussion history with Sterling Shepard. You know, what if he comes away with another concussion or two? I-, I mean, he's done, guys. He's done. And then, you know, all you have left after that is Darius Slayton. You had a fine, um, you know, a fine rookie campaign. You know, he's, he's an excellent 
Golden Tate. You know, he had Sterling Shepard for part of the season. So you have to have something else there besides Darius Slayton. And again, you know, we talked about protecting Jones. It's not just about protecting Jones. You need to continue to put pieces around Jones. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with the, the Shep concussions and, and Golden Tate getting older. You know I'm a huge Golden Tate guy. I'm so happy he's in Giants blue. I, I never thought I'd see that day happen. But, um, you know, we, we got a plan for the future, unlike we never did in the past. And Darius Slayton's a nice piece. I personally don't know that he's going to be a number one. I think he has a lot to work on still. First off, getting in the gym. But we can't forget about Corey Coleman. I know that's been circulating around too. He re-signed this past week and and hats off to him. That video of him working out, that knee looked great. One of the first things that somebody tears is their ACL, their their biggest um, thing they have to overcome in rehab is um, getting comfortable with that knee. And from that video I saw of Corey Coleman working out this week, he looked very comfortable in that knee. But again, like Shep and Tate, there's a lot of questions behind him too. So personally, I do think we will address a wide receiver in this draft. Um, I don't know when. Darius went in the fifth, so expect anything. But I, I definitely think we come away with another body at wide receiver in this draft. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to. I like Corey Coleman as much as the next guy. I mean, I'm one of the big – Corey Coleman supporters. I mean, I was right on it the day that he was um, released by Buffalo, who I believe had him before us. And I'm like, right there, I'm like, guys, Giants go to Corey Coleman, please. You know, the next day or two, uh, they make it happen. And then he had a really awesome year on special teams and had some nice moments as a receiver as well. I think he had a nice catch on the sideline against uh, Washington, I believe it was, um, late two seasons ago. But he was a guy who I've I'm very into. He's not a guy who's going to get a, a much separation, uh, but he's a guy who can make tough catches. And he, he's not the tallest guy either. I think he's like 5'10 or 5'11 maybe. But um, I certainly want to see what they have in Coleman this year because he's still relatively young. And definitely, I mean, he was a former first-round pick. So somewhere along, and he was a consensus first-round pick, by the way. So somewhere along the line, teams thought that he could bring something to the table. And, you know, um, it's just a matter of do we trust Jason Garrett and Joe Judge and to uh, get in the most out of Corey Coleman. And, I mean, if he's healthy, I mean, I think we can. And not only can he make an impact on special teams, as we've seen so many times, time and time again, good uh, kickoff returns and all that, but now I, I truly believe that um, he can make an impact in the receiving game as well. And, again, we're going to need that because, you know, like we were saying with Shep and uh, Tate, I mean, those guys may not be a, around for much longer. So um, you, you want to try and find pieces along the way that can contribute in the passing game so that, we're not like the Eagles where Carson Wentz is left with nothing, you know, just as an example off the top of my head. Yeah, fuck them dirty birds up in Philly. Uh, Yeah, I agree. We're all rooting for Corey. I mean, he's a great comeback story, but again, can't bank on him. But, um, you know, if, if that does work out, that's awesome because he's still very young. He was a first-round pick, and he's still got that it factor to him to be uh, starting wide receiver in this league. Now, he's not that big body that we're looking at, but he definitely helps, and his age definitely falls into play with what we're doing with this roster. But I want to get a little controversial here now. Kind of pick your brains on this. Our boy Chris, uh, he's been on this little bandwagon lately that he uh, he wants the Giants to draft Derek Brown. So uh, Gettleman runs up that card at four and takes a deep tackle on Derek Brown. How are y'all feeling? I'll lose my shit. Yeah, so, like, I'm not going to kill myself, but I would be very confused with the selection just because they've already spent the tag on, um, you know, Leonard Williams, and by the way, it was the defensive tackle tag, by the way. It wasn't the defensive end tag. 
So you figure they're going to use him on the inside. Uh, you still have Dalvin Tomlinson. You have Dexter Lawrence. I mean, it, given the amount of resources that they've used in that area that they've allocated to the interior defensive line, it just wouldn't make much sense to me. That's pretty much my point as well, too, Bren, is that one thing that we touted when Joe Judge was hired and then subsequently Patrick Graham was we liked what they had to say about this defense. Oh, we're going to be teachers, right? Uh, what kind of defense are you going to run? Well, are you going to run a 4-3? We're not going to run a 4-3. We're not going to run a 3-4. We're not going to run a 5-3. We're going we're gonna to run whatever fits our personnel. I think by going ahead and drafting another defensive tackle, I think you start to lose some of that flexibility there, especially with the fourth pick overall. If they take a defensive tackle later on in the draft, that's fine by me. But if you're taking a defensive tackle fourth overall, I think you start to lose some of that flexibility. Let's say that there's Chase Young available fourth overall. Chase Young can play with his hand in the dirt or he can stand up outside in a 3-4, right? Isaiah Simmons, we know, will probably at some point be an edge rusher in the NFL, but he has flexibility as well. You want to move him inside at middle linebacker. You want to move him outside. You want to move him to cornerback. You want to move him to safety. Provides you that flexibility. You can flex your defense into a 4-3, a 3-4, 5-3, cover, whatever you want to do based on that personnel. I think with Derrick Brown, that severely limits you. So who's standing up in a 3-4 defense? So I guess you could put Zoe outside, right? Um, Fackrell, uh, you got Martinez in the middle. Uh, who's going to stand up next to Martinez? Uh, Conley, who's coming off an ACL. Um, do you put Zoe there? I I don't know. I, I think you lose some of the flexibility draft and defensive tackle. That's just my personal opinion on it. I know I've made that note to Chris as well. Um I don't know. I just don't see it, especially with everything that we've heard from this coaching staff. Only way I see it is if we rescind the tag on Leo. Um, but MC wanted us to bring it up, and and it's good. It's a good talking point with Dave's obsession with the middle of the line. Um, and I think what triggered that conversation with with Chris was uh, Bill Belichick's old notes have been kind of circulating around. I know uh, Daniel Jeremiah put it up there, and put it out there on Twitter. And uh, one of the, the key points that I took away from it was uh, Bill himself, and that's not saying that Judge and Graham are like this, but Bill himself prefers big, mean guys in the middle and uh, likes to make it work on the outside with what he's got. I don't know, man. I, I'm i not going to rule it out. I'm, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to have myself defeated on draft day if it happens. But um, I just don't see it unless – Leo's tag is rescinded between now and then. But I just got some breaking news. Looks like the president and 12 sports commissioners just got off their conference call, and it looks like they're hoping to have fans and stadiums back open. Fans in stadiums back by August and September. So finally some good sports news for us, boys. Yeah, that's awesome because I got to tell you, if we were going into the NFL season or if the season got pushed back or whatever – I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I mean, the only thing that's keeping me alive right now is we got NFL and Giants news because they're probably going to cancel the uh, NBA season, which is a little bit unfortunate because you guys know I'm a big basketball guy. Hockey is not going on. I'm a big Caps fan. You know, baseball's been pushed back now, which sucks because my Nationals are coming off a championship. It's just, it's not good. So, I mean, if they were to push the Giants season back, God, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, you know what, Brent? Uh, Murph, I'll tell you what. This is good news for my New York Mets. 
Because if there is a baseball season, it's going to start in August. The one thing that the Mets always do is start off hot. Play the season for two months. Boom. The Mets are a playoff contender. No injuries. No nothing. Don't have to worry about that. Healthy pitching staff heading into October. Mets, World Series champions this year. Yeah, Brent ain't going to like that because he's a uh, Washington Nats fan. He's not going to dig what you just said. But, hey, if that's the case, that means the Yankees will all be on the DL by the time the season starts because that's usually where we're at at that time. I don't mean to get too off topic. You know, this is a football podcast, but there's a quick question I have for you. Does your team have Juan Soto? If the answer is no, then you're not winning the World Series. It doesn't matter. Neither one of y'all have Glaber Torres, so neither of you have a pitching staff like ours. I mean, shit. We have. <laughs> uh, I think we. I think we brought back R. A. Dickey. I'm pretty sure it's Tom Seaver's opening day starter. Uh, Mike Piazza catching. Yeah, Mike Piazza's back. That's right. Or Paul DeLuca. Depends which one, but and by the way, Brent, just to correct you, a New York podcast, not football podcast. My mistake. My lord, it will not happen again. Thank you, Brent. So, being that we talked about Bill Belichick, what he looks for in the draft, you had mentioned, Murph, that Daniel Jeremiah had put out Coach Bill Belichick's draft notes. Have you guys had an opportunity to look at some of that stuff and see how it aligns with today's Giants? I looked at all that, and I got to tell you, it was too much words. So I five and looked away because I was trying to go to bed. <laughs> A couple things I've taken away from it that kind of – matchup with situations we have going on in the Giants starting with O-line <laughs> I'm going to read this word for word need to be able to block the right guy need to recognize fronts be smart enough to block the right guy guys who are penalized a lot are not what we want we want big strong physical nasty smart the only reason I bring that up is because the penalized part and I know we have some friends that are very big on Jedrick Wills out there um, but I've been told by some Alabama fans that Jedrick Wills is a false start machine so I don't know that that would fit into Bill Belichick's offensive line scheme if uh, Joe Judge and Colombo are taking that in consideration yeah but Jedrick Wills also fits big strong physical and nasty He's got four check marks. He's got four check marks, and he's got a lot of false starts. I'll take four over one. You, you could work on those false start penalties. So, like, what are the stats on the other tackles in the draft? And, like, have or Murph, have you looked and seen, like, what the other false starts and uh, the penalties are compared to the other three offensive tackles here? Yeah, Murph, have you? I'm just going off Alabama fans that I've talked to on Twitter. That- All right, then shut the fuck up. Hey. I've just taken this article and seeing how it ties into us. You know, I know with Wills and Becton, they're strong, mean mans. I personally don't know much about Werfs, and I don't know much about Andrew Thomas. I think the best line, Bill Belichick says, can use a slightly dumber guy who is a good athlete. That is false. Eric Flowers fucking failed. Yeah, but slightly dumber guy who is a good athlete. One Eric Flowers was not a good athlete. His footwork was terrible, but I just thought that was funny. That was the one takeaway I took from that was the ability. He talks about intelligence versus brawn as well, and yeah, I thought that was a pretty funny line in there. Oh, and and by the way, to our listeners, this this Bill Belichick thing that we're we're talking about, it, this is from his time when he was with the Giants. It's from February 1991, so we're just kind of thinking about giants and how this ties in but uh not a whole lot has changed since then if you if you look at these notes and you look at the way his team is built you look at the way a lot of teams are built today this is almost 
what, 30 years old? Yeah, dude. This is almost 30 years old, and not a whole lot has changed. I'm going to go ahead and read this on... I don't know if I'm taking a thunder or not, but quarterback, right? I'm going to read this entire one because I think it's important. And I want Giants fans to think of Daniel Jones when I'm reading this. Number one is to make good decisions, then arm, then size, then physicality, then leadership. Guys look up to and have confidence in a real competitor, accurate rather than a guy with a cannon for an arm. I'm reading it verbatim. Emphasis on game will be on decision, timing, accuracy. How many times have we saw that out of Daniel Jones last year, right? Uh, A guy needs to be confident. Intelligence is important, but not as much as field awareness and judgment. So now that's a little bit where he struggled in terms of recognizing the blitz, holding on to the football. Cannot be sloppy fundamentally. Unsound guy with ball handling. Right. So now this is one thing where an area in which Daniel Jones has to improve is the fumbling. However, footwork, drops, release, et cetera. Quarterback has to be able to throw the ball with accuracy. I think he mentions accuracy and timing in this probably three times in that one paragraph. That's exactly what the Giants have in Daniel Jones. And you've also saw this with Bill Belichick's own quarterbacks. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have a strong arm. Tom Brady does not have a strong arm. But one thing that they live on is timing and accuracy for those passes. We heard Bill Belichick give a glowing review about Daniel Jones last year as well when the Giants were facing the Patriots. So he spoke glowingly about him. Daniel Jones fits what Bill Belichick would be looking for in a quarterback. Yeah, that's pretty cool stuff, which, uh, you know, it it obviously it gives you faith that the Giants made the right decision with Daniel Jones. So, uh, I mean, that's pretty cool stuff to see. I mean, it almost describes Daniel. It's like it describes him to a T. But again, with Joe Josh coming in, you wonder how much he's going to lean on those sort of descriptions on uh, his own players that I'm sure he's going to have a huge say, you know, who the Giants draft and whatnot and Gettleman's thought process through this entire thing. So, yeah. So let's go into his segment on just offense as a whole, which this lines up with what Dave wants to do, in my opinion, word for word. Make defense defend the middle of the field first by running and throwing inside. Work from the inside out in terms of inside, excuse me, in terms of blocking and protection. Keyword inside out. We don't have a center. We need one. Need some type of powerful element in the running game. Need big upfront people to knock guys off the ball. Inside, again, don't have a center. Need one eligible receiver who is the point of attack blocker who can execute the blocking in the run game. Passing game must protect the quarterback in the middle. Need size and strength guys who won't get driven back. Backs and tight ends need to be able to catch, not necessarily need to be elusive. Third down receivers who can get off the line of scrimmage and not get jammed up. That is one thing that we need to work on. And obviously catch the ball. Want three receivers and running back type guys, Saquon and Deion Lewis. When the defense takes takes away all the inside stuff, then we will go outside with run and pass. I mean, does that not kind of simplify everything that we've wanted with Saquon in this offense and the, the the blocking scheme. Something that Shermer didn't do at all. So the other interesting part in that is that it says backs and tight ends need to be able to catch, right? So you had already gone into the pass catching role for the running backs. And again, think about the Patriots. We have saw this. They've had physical tough running backs that can hit the middle of the field, right? Those kind of bruisers a Bolden guy, et cetera. Then they had those pass-catching backs, such as James White, et cetera, as well. Now, 
I don't know where Saquon kind of fits into our bruiser role mentality, but the Giants do have two pass catching backs in Saquon and Deion Lewis. If we go down a little bit more and we we look at tight ends and think about a little bit about what Bill Belichick has had in New England when we when we think about this, right? So tight ends, number one has to be a catcher, right? And he points out some guys like Izzy Newsome, Keith Jackson types. Don't need the offensive line type guy in a tight end's jersey. Can work around his blocking ability. Catch, run, and block in that order. Number two and number three tight end needs to be the blocker for situational running. So we have our primary pass catcher, Evan Ingram. Our tight ends, two and three, are the pass blockers. He mentions tight ends being 6'3", 235 minimum type of guy. Needs to be big enough to get in the way. A good measure of tight end is also what he does with the ball after the catch. Again, something that we saw from Evan Ingram. So I'll throw it to Bren. Bren, what do you think about some of the stuff with the tight ends and the uh, running backs that Murph talked about? How do you see that playing in for the Giants? Yeah, I I think that it's – you know, it's pretty spot on. You know, they have, like you were saying, they have the pass catcher with Evan Ingram and then the rest of the guys, you know, I mean, you're not really going to need too much out of it. We know that uh, Tololo or Tololo, however you say his name or whatever, respect to the young fellow, we'll learn once we uh, know more about him or whatever. But, um, you know, he said himself that he expects uh, to be a little bit more involved in the passing game. But the one thing that we know about, um, you know, Eric Tomlinson. If, if they decided they want to keep him, you know, because Caden Smith um, is more of a pass catcher than a blocker as well. So if you talk about presumed roster cuts, you talk about Caden Smith, Evan Ingram, and, um, you know, Tololo as your top three. I mean, you're, there's really only one blocker there. So, again, that kind of goes away um, from what he's saying there. But Ingram has gotten a little bit better at blocking. We'll see how Caden Smith does in year two. Running back-wise, I mean, Saquon is a guy that, and Deion Lewis are both guys that you kind of want to get more on the outside and involved a little bit more in the passing game and involved in space. So um, I would have to lean more towards that way with those two. Because my thing is with that is we saw Shermer try and run it up the gut with Saquon so many times. Um, And it's just not his style of play. So, you know, I just want to see um, him and Dion Lewis be used in space where they're going to be more effective. Kind of wrapping up this Belichick notes segment. At the bottom of the entire document, it says, Offense, to be successful, must be able to, one, run the ball, two, pick up the blitz, three, pick up third down, four, score. So I took all four of those and kind of compared it to our 2019 stats. As far as running the ball goes, we were ranked uh, 19th in the league. We were ranked on third down percentage. We were at 40 or excuse me, 37% completion percentage, ranked 21 in the league. Scoring, total offense, we were ranked 19 in the league. And as far as picking up the blitz, I think we can all agree that we didn't do that very much at all last year. Saquon, tight ends tackles, whatever it was. I don't have that stat in front of me right this second. When I look at all four of those categories, we're ranked between 19 and 21 in the league. We got a ways to go if we want to be a Belichick offense. Yeah, but again, you know, it it all starts up front. And, you know, they got to build the offensive line so that they have the ability to do some things with the skill positions and, uh, you know, things they can do with Jones. So, again, you know, it all just kind of goes back to offensive line. And one more question comes in that asks, what do you think – the Giants do at free safety. Brent? Yeah, so in terms of, um, you, you know, we've talked about the defense at all three levels. We've talked about 
of the defensive line. We talked about edge. We talked about linebackers. We mentioned corners briefly. Uh, but we really haven't talked about the back end with uh, Jabril Peppers and who we presume will be Julian Love. You, a lot of people are kind of penciling in Julian Love as that free safety right now. And, um, you know, people are forgetting that it was he was really taking the place of Peppers when um, he was back there so or when he was out. So you had him at uh, strong safety and then Bethay was still at free safety. So now you have a guy who looked well in a box safety type role uh, like Julian Love, but you wonder if he's going to be able to be that kind of ball hawking guy in the backfield that we've been wanting for so long that we just haven't had. You know, we hope that Darian Thompson was going to be that guy. Uh, they let go of Andrew Adams for whatever freaking reason. Um, they should have retained him. So we just kind of, then we just kind of threw out Bethay. And, um, you know, he, again, he just wasn't a guy who is not fast back there, uh, couldn't get to receivers. And I just worry about on the back end what they're going to do there. So right now, I would say it has to be Julian Love, but um, I wouldn't be shocked if they somewhere in like, you know, maybe rounds three or four, if they decide to throw in a safety pick in there, because uh, they have to have something else back there as well. I mean, you can't just have Julian Love and then, you know, Nate Ebner, who's a, a special teams guy. And then, you know, Sean Chandler, who probably will make the team though. Uh, but you can't just have Julian Love. I, they have to make an upgrade there somehow, some way. And I think that, you know, in the middle rounds, maybe that's where they pick a safety or, you know, a defensive back. That's a good point, Brent. And a lot of people that I see that are being mocked to the Giants and um, a lot of these drafts that are going around is Kayvon Wallace in those middle rounds. So let's see if that's the direction that they go. But that's a really good point. So we are going to turn our attention to. Let's, let's put this on record. Big Rob is our dude. This is my guy, but this is for him. All right, and that brings us on to our new segment. Shout out to Big Rob and our new segment, Big Rob Tweets. So this tweet says, need a big black cock in me. Rob responds with, the best I could give you is a big white cock, Mika. Okay, Mika? Sorry for the inconvenience, Mika. Big Rob Tweets. And that is going to go ahead and do it for today's episode. Bren, thank you very much for joining us today. Bren, give yourself a shout out again. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Again, you can find me on Twitter at Therese's Trice, the T-H-R-E-E-Z-U-S-T-R-I-S-T. Murph, you have any last words? Yeah, nothing, guys. I just want to say uh, to all of our listeners, stay safe out there. It's a tough time right now, but we're all going to get through this together. Hopefully our Giants content takes your mind off some things. Um, please go follow our Instagram page at Murph and the Mage. Shout out to our boy Mike, who's been running the page. Um, we're we're going to be put, blasting some content with the draft coming up, so we'd appreciate your follows. But uh, other than that, peace and love, and thanks for all your listens. <laughs>